Uh, I've been putting this off all day. It's Sunday night. Finally got to get to it. Uh, you know who I am. Colton Denning, host of this here podcast, Scarlet and Gray Stripes, a subset of the Two Stripes podcast. Make sure to follow along on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, subscribe to both of those. Uh, leave a comment, leave a review, leave a star rating that helps other people find the show and just helps me know what I can do to make the show better. And then you can also listen on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash two stripes pod. You can also watch my video work of which there is uh, a couple new videos up on youtube.com slash Colton Denning that pertain to this episode of the show uh, that you can check out Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba highlights, all other Ohio State and just general college football highlights up there. YouTube.com slash Colton Denning, sim videos as well. Uh, and then go to twostripescpd.com and follow me on Twitter at Dubsco. All right. Like I said, 30 minutes. Let's get through this and talk about Ohio State's 59 to 31 win over Purdue's. We'll get to questions and comments uh, either at the end or as I'm talking my way through this game. It was a really entertaining game and it was overall an entertaining weekend of college football. Another Crazy weekend, Oklahoma loses, another top 10 team down. Probably it for them when it comes to playoff stuff. I don't know, maybe. We'll, we'll see how crazy these uh, these last two weeks of the season get, but things are starting to shake out a little bit uh, in Ohio State's favor. They still got to take care of business, but just overall, another entertaining weekend and a pretty awesome season so far. And uh, before I talk about just the minutiae of this game and kind of how I'm feeling and well, not that's what I'm going to talk about right now, but just the minutia of this game and everything to go through. Uh, let's just get an overall sense of my vibe here because I I saw all the tweets from everybody after the game and all the talk and, and whatnot, and I think a lot of it was a little uh, agitated maybe or apprehensive. I don't know what the right word was, but it didn't feel for a lot of people, I think, like a 28-point win. And hey, if, if that's you, that's you, that's fine. But for me, this was kind of what I expected from this game. And I think this was a nice win for Ohio State. And quite frankly, their best win of the season. I mean, Michigan, or not Michigan, but Penn State beating Michigan probably would have vaulted that game up to that spot. But I, And I don't think that, that that's a knock on Ohio State, that the Purdue win is their best win of the season. That's a team that beat Michigan State, previously undefeated, uh, beat Iowa, whatever you want to say about Iowa, the fact that they went in there and torched that Iowa defense like that, that counts for something. So it, it's a good win over a strong Purdue team, uh, and we get to see a lot of Ohio State's strengths and weaknesses coming out of this game and stuff that they need to work on uh, for these last two weeks and stuff that I think can be very positive for them as we hit this last stretch of the season. So this was kind of a game that I was expecting and thought it might get a little shootouty. And I, I don't think people should minimize Purdue. There's a reason they beat those teams. They played Notre Dame close and they're a good team with the right head coach who is really smart and knows how to scheme things up offensively. And they have some pretty high level talent. When you look at a guy like David Bell at receiver or George Karloftis, who a lot of the Ohio state game plan, I'm not really going to, I didn't plan on talking about this, but I might as well say it while I have it on the top of my mind when I mentioned his name there. Uh, kudos to Ryan Day for knowing uh, just how good George Karloff this is, and he kind of attacked him in a way of, I, I haven't seen other coordinators, or you don't see coordinators or offensive head coaches or whatever 
do that a lot at the college level where they basically just had these plays that he was just going to go unblocked and they were just going to say, you know what, you're going to, you're probably going to beat us anyway. We're just not going to even worry about that. And, you know, Garrett Wilson taking a, a jet sweep handoff, which we'll talk about or whatever it is, you, you know, the plays I'm talking about, you know what I'm getting at here. Uh, their, their way of attacking him and dealing with him was very unique. And I think Ryan day deserves a lot of credit for that. But when a team like Purdue with a couple of really strong, high-end, talented players like that, but not necessarily the depth of a top 15 or top 10 team, when a team like that plays a team like Ohio State, uh, the, big, the big thing is your margin for error is just so slim. And that's, that's my main takeaway from this game. And this is where I want to start with this, is that Purdue's margin for error was... So slim in this game, and when Ohio State plays a lot of these teams that aren't up to their level talent-wise or Clemson's level or Alabama, those top-tier teams, uh, just the margin for error for these teams that Ohio State is playing against is so small, and that's really what this game was. Because to me, this game came down to one play, and it's not that simple, simple and I'm just kind of being general with it, but one play changed the course of this game to me. So let's let's set up this play. So to start the game, Ohio State scores after they force the punt. Purdue goes, what, three and out. That looked that looked good. We all felt pretty good about that one. Ohio State gets the ball. They score on their first drive. They go up 7 nothing. Purdue gets the ball again on their second drive, and then they just go on this ridiculously long drive that I think got everybody's agitation levels up early and there those antennas up like oh god it's going to be it's going to be one of these days right like I think even if you're the most positive Ohio State fan you probably had that thought in your mind like oh boy this might be this might be one of those games so it's 7-7 but then Ohio State gets the ball again and they score another touchdown 14-7 that's where this game changed because as Purdue is driving they get the ball back and they start driving again they get to the Ohio State 38 First and 10, 5.30 left in the first quarter, and they have that fumble on the handoff exchange. And Jerron Cage, again, in the middle of it, recovers. This time he doesn't score a touchdown. He just falls on the ball, and it's Ohio State ball. And that's an unforced error, and you just cannot have those against a team like Ohio State, And especially when nobody really did anything. They just recovered the ball. That was totally a Purdue lapse a Purdue mistake as they were driving, and it kind of felt like this game was going to turn into a back and forth, but they fumbled the handoff exchange. Ohio State gets the ball. First play, Travion Henderson, 57 yards. Incredible burst on that run. Nobody touches him, and it's 21-7, and just like that, the game changed because Purdue gets the ball on their next drive. Defense does a good job. They force a punt. Ohio State scores again. It's 28-7. They kick off. That's when Purdue fumbles the kickoff. And Ohio State scores again. It's 35 to 7. And there's only there's 1328 left in the second quarter at this point. And that's basically game over. Like Purdue was able to move the ball after that. And Ohio State's offense just continued to dominate. And Purdue, you know, they found their feet afterwards, but that little six-minute stretch, starting with the fumbled uh, handoff exchange at 530 left in the first quarter. That, to me, is really where this game turned. And I hate, I always hate playing the what-if game because it just, it's not reality. But it, it is interesting to think about a reality where Purdue doesn't fumble that ball and how this game 
would have played out. I still think Ohio State wins the game because the offense, they just were not going to be stopped. Uh, and if they would have decided to keep the the pedal to the floor for the whole game, they probably could have scored, I don't know, 80, 85 points. I mean, if they really, really wanted to, that's how that's how great they were rolling yesterday. But it would have probably been a little bit more of a, of a close game without that play. But my whole point of this and bringing up that play before I talk about anything else is that this sequence to me is the ideal, uh, it's like the ideal perfect version of what 2021 Ohio State is. This is the the apex to me of what this team can be. And that is if Purdue or whoever makes one mistake, whether it's forced or unforced offensively, or, you know, the Ohio State defense forces a turnover, whatever, the offense is going to bury you, and you just can't catch up. You know, because Purdue, I, I think, had a really great game plan, and they were able to set it, set into it as the game went on. But as soon as they turned that ball over, it wasn't even like, hey, Ohio State went down and, and drove. They just first play, Henderson scores that touchdown. And at that point, it's like, okay, well, now we got to score two touchdowns to, to get it back, and Ohio State gets the kickoff to start the second half and we got to find a stop after scoring. So they just had to do so many things. And this is a really good offense, but at that point, man, you're just playing catch-up against an offense this good. And we'll talk about the defense here in a a little bit. I want to really hone in on uh, the offense today and just how impressed with them I was. So we'll talk about the defense in a little. But honestly, that's really all they need from those guys defensively to achieve this version of, what I think is the best version of 2021 Ohio State. They just have to hold the line. You force more than a couple of punts, hopefully three or four punts. Like you're, you're able to get off the field, obviously, but you you hold the line, you force turnovers when you can, and if a team makes a mistake, you have to capitalize it. And it's it's not as simple as like if a team fumbles the ball, you gotta you gotta jump on it because that's not how fumble luck works. But this defense just has to they have to be opportunistic. They don't have to be, and I've talked about it all season, they don't have to be a defense that allows under 200 yards per game or you know whatever, 250 yards per game. They don't need to be dominant. They just need to be opportunistic. They need to be able to get after the quarterback, which I really don't think was a priority based off of the way that the game played out yesterday. And Ryan Day talked about uh, dropping eight into coverage as soon as the score kind of got out of hand. And I think it was vanilla, and that's that's fine. We'll We'll discuss that in a little bit. But when the games are a little closer, which we'll see in the next the next two games, uh, they need to get off to the quarterback. They need to make those havoc plays, whether it's tackles for loss, just ripping the ball out or, you know, tipping passes, picking passes off, whatever. And if they can do that every once in a while, and we've seen them score multiple touchdowns this year, uh, man, that that helps any team. So it's obvious, like I'm I'm not a genius here in opening up this new galaxy brain way of thinking about winning football. But for this particular team, if they just get the offense, the ball back without giving up seven points, you're going to put yourself in a pretty good spot because there's not a lot of defenses that can handle this offense, uh, whether whether they're 90 percent healthy, let alone what they were yesterday with Garrett Wilson back in the lineup. So to me, that's really we saw the ideal version of Ohio State when the score was 35 to seven and when the game just snowballed like that. And no, you're not going to get that every single game. It's just not going to play out that way. But that to me is the best version 
of this team. And, and we saw that. And if they're going to win uh, these last two games and get to the Big Ten Championship and hopefully get to the playoff and have this goal of winning the national championship, that's how they're going to have to win these games. Because I, I feel like we all feel comfortable with the offense, even despite the times uh, or just the stretches that they had against Penn State and Nebraska. I think in the long run, we all feel pretty good, right, about how the offense is able to move the ball and score points. So that's fine. But the defense, uh, if they play the way they did throughout the first, whatever, 18 minutes of game time through uh, 13 minutes left in the second quarter, they're as good as anybody. And you know, you know, I'll hold off on saying that, especially with how Georgia looks. But yeah, if they play like that, they can play with anybody and they can beat anybody. Did they do it for the whole game? No, but that's how the game played out. But that 35-7, to 7, that area of the game through the first quarter and then those first three, four minutes of the second quarter, that looks like arguably the best team in the country. And so it's hard to hone in on that and do it every single game. But uh, I, I was really impressed with the non-garbage time version of Ohio State. And that's really why I'm not going to like get get on the show today and hoot and holler about the stuff that I didn't like because for all intents and purposes, man, th- this game was over early in the second quarter. And as much as you want to see everybody be completely uber focused and locked in all the way through, it's not always going to be the case. And, you know, there's legitimate things to criticize about that and we'll get to it. But uh, from what I saw, I-, I was really happy about yesterday. And I think that they made a really strong statement with how they were able to play. So before I said anything else about this game, I wanted to start there and say that to me, in my mind, that that play, that fumbled exchange on the handoff with 530 left in the first quarter, that was the play of the game. And that's just where the whole uh, the, the whole snowball and the whole avalanche really started for this one and where Ohio State was able to put their stamp on it. So yeah, so that's that. That's where we're starting today. The next logical place to go after that is to just talk about the offense because that's that's what I said I was going to do, right? Going to praise the offense, going to keep it positive today. And what did I do after the Nebraska game? Because I didn't keep it positive there. I talked about how complicated the offense looked and how they needed to simplify the offense. You know, the last two weeks, it looked so overcomplicated. It looked like they were trying to call the perfect play uh, every single down and the way that they tried to end the game the way they ran that fourth and one with a throw to Ruckert, which, hey, should have it should have worked, but it didn't. It was just overly fancy, and it really killed them last week. And I, I went at Ryan Day and C.J. Stroud for that. And, wow, what a day for both of them. And the offense as a whole, they averaged over nine yards per play, uh, probably closer to 10 without garbage time. I don't want to go through and just search that individually myself, but – I would imagine that their yards per play through the first half was pretty close to 10, and I think they talked about that on the broadcast. And even with uh, just regular raw numbers, it was 263 yards rushing, 361 yards passing, which is so absurd. Uh, but I, I felt like, to me, the the biggest thing to be happy about was just how simplified the offense was, and there was better Offensive line play, which certainly helped. The the run game looked like it got a little bit more of a push. There were some more holes to work through. Uh, C.J. Stroud was decisive and accurate. The biggest thing to me, which goes to the simplification thing, is just some of the different stuff that they did. Uh, People have been talking about 
the quarterback run, right? Like that's everybody's favorite subject and they're just not going to do it. And it's fine. I think that that's, I think that's good with what CJ Stroud's, uh, what his skill set is. He clearly doesn't want to run and that's, that's okay. Even if he says, Oh, I'll run 20 times a game. That's fine. They don't need him to, because when they're doing stuff like, uh, the wide receiver motion, the handoff on the jet to Wilson on his touchdown, the pop pass to Jackson Smith and Jigba on the second drive that he got, what, like 45 yards off of. You don't need the quarterback run when you do stuff like that. That keeps defenses honest. That gives them another thing to think about. That acts like the quarterback run. So you you don't need the quarterback run stuff. We can put that to bed as long as Day is keeping uh, the stuff that we saw yesterday involved in the offense and giving, I mean, he's certainly giving Michigan State, Nebraska, and whoever else they play for the rest of the year, something to think about with that. I really, really hope that that stuff not only stays within the offense, but increases. And so I, I think to me, that's the, that's the most important thing from this game offensively is that they were able to incorporate plays like that and know you're, it's not going to go for 50 yards every single time you do it. But when you have playmakers like that, that's what's going to happen. So hopefully that stuff uh, comes more into play. And, you know, what did what did I say in that Nebraska recap? Because the, the actual phrase that I said about day was just get the ball to your playmakers and get the f- out of the way. That's exactly what Ryan Day did yesterday. How many screens did they run? I don't want to go back and watch. I mean, I scrubbed through the game earlier today. Probably five, six, seven. I mean, there were a lot of short throws. They didn't overcomplicate it. They got the ball to Garrett Wilson short, and he juked like five guys. Jackson Smith and Jigba juked a bunch of people. Uh, Chris Olave did the same thing on that first Garrett Wilson touchdown. It was just a quick out route to the sideline. He outraced the defender, jumped to the pylon. Same with the Olave TD. Like, there there are... four or five guys in the country who can confidently guard Garrett Wilson or Olave or Jackson Smith and Jigba. So you just need to get the ball to him however you can. And that doesn't have to be 30 yards down the field or on some intricate uh, play design. Just throw them the ball out wide and they're going to make plays. And the, the dirty secret about all these guys too is they all block. They all block for each other. Smith and Jigba did it on a couple of Wilson screens. Uh, they had guys outside who did it on Wilson's touchdown run. So that's, that's another thing. Like everybody's focused about the quarterback run, but just getting these guys, the ball out in space and using them in different ways, uh, that makes up for all of that. So I I was really happy to see that. And that should be Ohio state strategy going forward. And it reflected in the passing game because, uh, Smith and Jigba had what nine catches. Wilson had 11, Olave had eight or nine, so that that needs to be what's going forward. Those guys need to see the targets, uh, and they need to see the ball because they're three of the best playmakers, uh, not just in the conference, but in the whole damn country. So I loved all of that, more of that, the next two weeks. And just before I wrap up that thought, that's not to say that C.J. Stroud didn't make some throws. There was the first and 20 after the uh, the call to a the deep ball to Olave down the field got called back. Uh, the first and 20 that he threw over the middle, the Smith and Jigba immediately picked up the first down. That was beautiful. There were a couple of other nice throws. Uh, so it's not to say that Stroud didn't 
do anything and just was throwing screens and, and dump offs. No, they, they just got the ball to their playmakers. And then, yeah, Stroud can make those throws. So obviously you incorporate that into the game plan as well. But before I forget about the, the callback touchdown to Olave, man, I said it on Twitter afterwards, like right after the play happened. There's just something cursed with, with those two and the deep ball this season, because that's the second call back this year, right? Uh, the Against Tulsa. And what was that in the third quarter or the fourth quarter? That wasn't a touchdown, but it was like a 60-yard gain or a 50-yard gain, right? And that one got called back for a hold or, or something else. So, like, those two just cannot catch a break. And I know they had the Penn State touchdown, but it really feels like they're searching for that, like, huge play uh, down the field to really give them the confidence. I think they're going to hit it. Uh, you know, hopefully it's against Michigan, or in the Big Ten title game, Michigan State playoff, whatever. But they keep going to it, and they're getting really, really close to it. And eventually, they're going to break through. And I can't wait to see it because it's just—it's so unfortunate that those two can't catch a break on those really deep passes. But uh, overall, man, awesome stuff from all of those guys. Uh, while I'm talking about the receivers, uh, let's let's discuss Garrett Wilson. And I—I've said it before, and I want to say it again after watching him yesterday, it really feels like his greatness kind of gets taken for granted. And hey, I'm I'm guilty of that too. And it feels that way because I think we, we've just, we've gotten so used to it. He's been around now for three years. It feels like it's been about five years, but he's he's been great since the first time he stepped onto the field. So it just feels like, oh, that's that's just what Garrett Wilson does. But he really put on a show yesterday, and I don't want to get caught up in hyperbole. But that I, I wasn't—I'm too young to remember what it was like when Eddie George did what he did against Illinois. And I'm not saying that that's what Garrett Wilson did yesterday, but to me, it's in that same class of just the way that he dominated that game by scoring four touchdowns. He had ten catches, 126 yards, three touchdowns a 51-yard rushing touchdown. And in a game that not only for Ohio State has a bunch of NFL players in it, but like I said with Purdue, David Bell, George Karloftis, dudes who are probable first-round picks, right? Like, both of those guys are amazing. Garrett Wilson was far and away the best player on the field yesterday. And with mounting evidence for this season... He's the best player on Ohio State, uh, either side of the ball. Um, and he honestly, he might be the best player in the country. I, I really don't think that that's going too far. He is that good. And it's it's more than just the raw numbers of, of what he did yesterday and what he's done all season that I think showcases that. Because going back and watching, it's just the different ways that he was making all of those plays. Uh, you look at it, the first touchdown. He just ran that out route. He was wide open. A lot of receivers can do that. It wasn't a spectacularly uh, special play from him, but out route, dove into the end zone, just burned the defender, makes this athletic play. Okay, that's that's one way to do it. Uh, he had three or four catches, those short catches that I was uh, talking about earlier, where he just got yards after the catch, and then he juked a couple of defenders. I mean, he just left dudes basically without their shoes on, just left them in the dust. Uh, the second touchdown, on Twitter in the Maryland game, I said that he Garrett Wilson 
he lives his life and he plays in real life, in reality, the way that when you have like when you have a dream and you jump and you just you feel like you float or you run and it feels like you take five yards or you go five yards in between your steps. It honestly feels like that's just how Garrett Wilson actually like lives his life and how he runs and how he jumps. And on that second touchdown, a jump ball just floated. I mean, his his ass was literally in the defender's face. I screenshotted it today and put it up. And uh, you may go back and watch that play and be like, oh, that's not a great ball from CJ. The goal is to just get the ball up in the air with a chance for Garrett Wilson to go get it. And I think probably eight and a half times out of 10, he's going to do that. And there are very few defensive backs in college football and probably in the NFL that can go up with him. And, it, you know, it all started with, what, the Clemson uh, play in the, the 20, uh, 2019 playoffs where he just, like, rose up and caught that ball. But he almost does that on a daily basis. I'm sure on a daily basis, but, like, on a game-to-game basis for sure. Uh, just what an impressive jump ball touchdown. So he was able to do that as well. Third touchdown, jet sweep, took the handoff, and great blocking, but... Uh, the way he just read all that, and nobody had a chance, so he was able to beat the defense that way. Uh, a couple of really nice hands catches, and I think to me that's the thing about Garrett Wilson that stands out the most, as much as the athleticism and the route running. Watch how he catches the ball. Can you remember more than, or just can you think of more than two or three Garrett Wilson catches where he let it get to his chest? I mean, he almost never I, I can't think of one or two that he's done that. He always, they say that a receiver, like in drafts, draft scouting notes or whatever, they'll be like, he plucks the ball. Garrett Wilson plucks the ball every time he sees it. Uh, and that, it's just, it's very enjoyable to watch. Um, so I, I always notice that about him. He had a sideline catch yesterday on a third and three, uh, right, just right off the sideline off of either a hitch or, or something where caught the ball with his hands and the the defensive back was wrapping him up and just he just held on to the ball just right out in front of his face really strong hands and I think that might be his best his best attribute which is uh really saying something so he's able to beat defenses that way with his great hands if he doesn't get a ton of separation and then the fourth touchdown which was uh, probably I think my favorite one even with the uh the jump ball one uh fourth and one he runs a slant and the defender gets frozen because uh, Smith and Jigba, they're doing like a, what do they call it? A slant flat combo. And so they're, you know, they're trying to pick the defenders and the inside defender has to make his choice, whatever. And he runs a slant. He catches the ball, gets the first down, but then he stops completely. He changes direction, jukes a dude. And then when he gets to the six yard line, stiff arms, a defensive end, and that just that. Stiff arms George Karloftis, and I'm not gonna like rag on him and say, oh, he just he put George Karloftis in the dirt. But that is a large man. That is one of the best players in the country. That's a first round defensive end pick next year in the NFL draft. And he just stiff armed him at the six yard line and ran into the end zone like it was nothing. So that that to me was the play of the game, and it showcased all of those things that he does so well the route running the speed the ability to change direction and make people miss and then low-key uh just the strength because he not only stiff-armed Karloftis but when they were playing uh Akron and this may be like a totally random thing to reference back to and I don't remember the guy's name 
I don't know how like how good of a season he's having this year, but Akron has a linebacker who was first team all Mac last year. And in the Akron game, Wilson caught one of those. It was a shorter pass and took it about 40 yards. And he stiff-armed this Akron linebacker just like right in the face. And James Laurinaitis was on color. And he was like, damn, that's that's Akron's best linebacker. That's a uh, first-team Mac linebacker. And Garrett Wilson's just stiff-arming this guy. Uh, and that that's just what it made me think of is like this season, he's done that multiple times. So he can do everything. And then the last catch of the game he had, it was one of those screens. Uh, just dusted a defensive back about five yards into the play. Completely left him standing still, did like a double juke move, and picked up 10 more yards. So this is all a long way of praising Garrett Wilson and, and giving him that just do. And just saying that, you know, there's, there's nothing that he can't do. And it, referencing back to like when he started in that Clemson game in 2019 and what he did on the road against Michigan, it, it feels like yesterday that he got to campus right. And he was he was a five-star kid. And he's one of those kids that like, not only did he live up to the hype, he has overexceeded everything and more. Like you, you can't even when a kid is a five star and you say like, "Oh, this this kid is a can't miss." He's been beyond that. He has outlived that hype or outlived up to it or whatever you want to say. You know what I mean? He's been that damn good. So uh, appreciation to Garrett Wilson. I hope and I would assume that they're gonna do when they do senior day ceremonies against Michigan State that he's a part of that and uh, he gets his just due. And honestly, man, if he has two big games, we could be talking about Garrett Wilson in New York. I think he's uh, he's definitely deserving because he's the best player on the team, and that's saying something with this much talent. And it's just a joy and a treat to watch him dominate. So that's my uh, that's my ten minutes or however long I just went on Garrett Wilson. But we got to shift. We got to shift and talk about not subjects because we're still talking about receivers, but I got to show love to everybody else on the offense here. And I'm already I'm already going long. I said it was going to be 30 minutes It's probably going to be closer to 50. So bear with me. I'm sorry. Um, let's talk about JSN, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, and I mean, what else can I say that I didn't say about Garrett Wilson? Uh, JSN with the quietest nine catch, 139, one touchdown game. 139 yards, I should say, one touchdown game uh, that I think I've ever seen. Uh, also, similar to Garrett Wilson, he had a juke where I, he, I think they pulled the same move, just like a double juke where they left the defender uh, just standing still. Um, so he continued. He went over 1,000 yards, which is absurd. Uh, another dude who has completely lived up to all the hype. Uh, and he's really, I think, what makes this offense, and I referenced it a few weeks ago and keep bringing it up, he's what... He's the thing that takes this thing to just like a whole nother scary level because you already know what the guys outside of him are going to do. You already know what two and five are going to do. Uh, JSN, number 11, how, how are you going to cover him? Who's inside that can cover that guy? Seems like nobody can the last couple of weeks. So uh, he is beyond for real. Uh, Chris Olave, again, talking about the quiet thing. Nine catches, 85 yards, one touchdown. At least three or four of those catches were later on in the game. Uh, they had the touchdown called back that I referenced. He also dropped one that was a little bit behind him earlier in the game. Uh, they just, on the deep balls, they can't catch a break. Um, but I, I did like to see that they they went to him uh, later on in the game. And not that they force-fed him or anything, but I, I like that they made it a point to throw to him and kind of, I don't know if get, get his confidence up is the right word, but he also scored a touchdown. And I, I would like to see 
it feels like in these opening drives of games, I'll have to go back and look, but it feels like uh, a lot of these opening drives, it's a lot of Wilson and Smith and Jigba. I think it's not a bad idea to get Olave involved, like right, right away, like first play of the game throw him a screen to the outside and just let him know like, Hey Chris, we're, we're going to, to you. we're going to you today. Uh, and we're going to just a positive vibes. I, I keep bringing it up. Maybe it's just me. Something just seems off and it's not anyone's fault. I don't think it's something wrong with Olave or with Stroud or with day and the play calls that they're making. I think it's just the way that these games are, are panning out. And I would like to see Olave get involved like right, right away, because I think that's going to be a big boost for everybody's confidence. So that's something I'm looking for in Michigan State and the Michigan game because he is a Michigan killer. But, hey, I, I'm not complaining with, with Olave. Look at the season he's having. So uh, still one of the best receivers in the country and another guy actually for senior day. I can't wait to uh, to see the response that he gets because he's, he's very deserving of all the uh, praise and adoration. But when all three of those guys are on the field together, uh, it's borderline unstoppable. And thank God that they're all healthy right now, and hopefully that continues. And as long as they are, man, this team can play with anybody, and this offense can score with anybody. And that's uh, that's that's the best thing about the team, and that's what they're going to need going down here in the stretch. Other offensive, uh, non-wide receiver-related thoughts here very quickly. Uh, I have written down the importance of Mayan Williams and uh, how great it was to see him out there and healthy that is extremely necessary. 14 carries, 117 yards, one touchdown. Those are just the raw stats. But watching it, good power, ran over a couple dudes, stiff-armed one dude on a, uh, I think it was a catch. Uh, good patience. He, he was waiting for some holes to develop. I still think Travion Henderson's getting used to that part of the college game. He's going to be much better at that next season. But the patience that Williams had, some of the cuts that he had, uh, there were some second-level cuts that were really nice, and just the overall vision. Uh, they really need him to be healthy. They need one of these backup running backs healthy. That's something. There's been so much other shit going on this season that we haven't talked a lot about that because Travion Henderson's been just so otherworldly amazing. But I really think that that's important for this offense here in these last two games of the season. And I'll incorporate uh, something that I asked for in questions or comments is Kevin White said, should Mayan Williams and Henderson be splitting carries equally? I don't know about equally, but I would love to see uh, some early Mayan Williams touches next week. In this similar vein to Olave, getting him involved early, I, I really do think that Henderson is banged up, and we'll probably learn more to what extent that is after the season or you know after the Big Ten title game, hopefully. Um, but it definitely looks like Travion Henderson doesn't have the, is it the lateral lateral ability, easy for me to say, that he had at the start of the season. He, he just looks a little banged up, and it seems like every single game we're hearing like, oh, Travion Henderson's getting looked at, and that's not a knock on him or anything. But he's just going through the college game, and, you know, he hadn't played in a while before this. So it's that's stuff that isn't, you know, out of out of the ordinary or anything. And if it sounds like I'm complaining or, like, you know, worried about uh, Travion Henderson, he still had 102 total yards and two touchdowns. That dude is just ridiculous. And the burst on the 51-yard touchdown, there was no chance that anybody was going to touch him. But overall, uh, just having Mayan Williams healthy, because it's just been a rotating thing of like, uh, Mayan Williams is out. 
Master Teague was out last week. And they just haven't had any consistency with those second string touches all season at running back. Hopefully, they get it next week and just have two weeks and then the week after that, three weeks of just like continued uh, consistency with the running back rotation. And if Williams is healthy and that's what he's going to give him, what he gave him yesterday, man, that just adds another layer to the offense. So I was really very happy about that. And again, something that's gone a little bit under the radar with all the other just like wild stuff that's happened this year. But that was really important. And hopefully that continues. I thought it was ridiculous that they didn't put in any of the backups for uh, those last couple of drives. It was a, it was a thing on Twitter. You, you guys know how I feel about it. I've, I've talked about it all year. Um, whatever. I, it's not something I'm going to yell and scream about. Uh, I just don't want to hear Ryan Day bitch about it next season. That's all. If they're not going to play the backups when it's a four touchdown game in the fourth quarter, uh, fine. That's, I, I don't think it's the right decision. I, I, I think it's bad, quite frankly, but I just don't want to hear you complain about how the young guys didn't get reps because there were many more blowouts this year than there were last year. And there were so many opportunities to play young guys. And you may think that like Kyle McCord or Quinn Ewers getting two drives doesn't mean anything, but for a guy like Ewers who's never played, it does. Like playing actual football games matters, which is a crazy thought. But yeah, it's not something I'm going to yell and scream about, but I thought it was ridiculous to have Stroud in the game when uh, you're up four touchdowns with however on that last drive. Like, And Day said afterwards, like, oh, they earned it. Whatever. Uh, I'm moving on because I said I wasn't going to yell and scream about it, but that's a minor nuisance for me from yesterday. Speaking of nuisances, let's 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 talk about it. I've I've avoided the subject for as long as possible. I don't really want to talk about it, but we kind of have to. It's the main story here. I've I've avoided it for 40 minutes. Let's discuss the defense. I'm not surprised that Purdue scored. I'm not surprised that Purdue had success. They've got good players. They got a smart coach. They got a good scheme. Uh, if you came into this game thinking Ohio State was going to do to Purdue what they had done to uh, Penn State, or you know they didn't really play that well against Penn State, but you, that five game stretch in the middle of the season, Maryland, Indiana, whatever. If you thought they were going to do that, then I, I mean, sorry, you you thought wrong. You shouldn't have thought that. Um, so I, I'm not surprised that Purdue had success. At the same time, it wasn't it wasn't great. And I'm, I'm not going to deny that, but I'm not, again, I'm not going to yell and scream about it because uh, every once in a while, I feel like we as Ohio State fans and just college football fans in general of these big teams, you get spoiled with uh, just dominating and you, you forget that other teams have talent too. So there's that part. And we forget that sometimes you have to play within the game and the flow of the game, and how it's going. And I thought that uh, Pratik, who I think is a usual listener to the show uh, and, and follows me on Twitter, and some of you may follow him as well, he sent me a tweet. He sent me a reply to something I said after the game where I was like, for the most part, I'm pretty happy about this one. Defense was a little vanilla, whatever, da-da-da-da-da, but, but I'm happy. And I really like this tweet that he sent back to me because he said, counterpoint, they stopped playing up 28 to 7 and by they uh the defense no diverse play calls or blitzes no need to show anything you don't need to or to get guys hurt with over aggressive play calls this defense has to be blitz heavy and aggressive to succeed no need to risk that up for touchdowns which 
shout out to you, Pratik, because that I thought that that was very poignant. And if you're upset about the defense, I think that you need to take what Pratik's saying into cons- into consideration here, because I think that's that's pretty spot on. And it's not something you want to hear. Like Ohio State was up 35 to seven. They were just kicking the shit out of those guys. They were dominating. And then they just dropped back eight for the rest of the game. They rushed three. Uh, you know, we saw dudes get beat in the secondary. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, and, you know, it got to a point where we're, we're a fan base that gets very, very agitated very easily, right? And when it was whatever, 52 to 31, and it's a three-touchdown game, David Bell or whoever scored that touchdown, it's like, oh, my God, we're really going to do this? Like, please, not not again. Come on. Like, I don't think anybody felt like Purdue was going to come back and win, but it was just like the – that you remember the 2013 Illinois game where the offense had to score like 65 points to win and they were up like 30 or 40 and then the defense just totally shit the lead away and you never felt like they were going to lose but it was like really guys come on like it had a little bit of that flavor to it it wasn't as bad as that one but I think it was just like it's easy to get agitated with that stuff and I think that Pratik is is spot on that really in the grand scheme of things like what was there to show what exotic looks are they going to bring? You know, what what would you have them do up 28 at that point or when it was 52 to 17? The, the game was over. So uh, I think that that's important to look at it from that standpoint. And no, it's, it's not exactly comforting to just say that and be like, oh, that's why they gave up all the points. But I think that's also something that like even, even Ryan Day said, like, yeah, we're going to drop eight and, you know, there's things we need to clean up, but... It just kind of, we played within the game and, and what it was. We didn't have a ton to gain from it. And I, I totally understand that. And that's why, you know, for me, I'm not really going to super go in on the defense because they're, they're playing within the flow of the game. There's stuff to fix, obviously, but it just kind of was what it was. I also think that on the flip side of that, uh, two Purdue mistakes that were pretty, I'm the, kick, the fumble kickoff, uh, it was a nice hit by Chris Booker. Shout out to him. But that play kind of was already screwed from the start with the way he uh, Jackson Anthrop fielded that punt. But the turnover was, you know, thanks to Booker's hit. Uh, but the the handoff, you know, they just fell on the ball. That's I'm not going to give the defense a ton of credit for that. They did fall on the ball, though, which is good. But those are unforced errors that you just can't count on week after week. Uh, and like I said earlier, without that, who knows how the game plays out? Still think Ohio State wins, but you just can't count on that every single week. But, you know, I'm not going to be overly upset that they weren't aggressive as uh as this game went on it just was vanilla and it's it sucks to watch vanilla and when your defense sits back all game even if you're up 30 points uh they just kind of hung back and um you know Purdue if you hang back against Purdue they're gonna take what they give you with their receiver talent and uh with their head coach and quarterback play so uh you know I don't have any real analysis other than that just was what it was. And uh, shout out to Pratik. That was a really uh, that was a really poignant uh, idea that I thought. So shout out to you, Pratik. Not shout out to Ohio State safety play. If if there's we want to go in on something, you want to hear me go in. You want to hear me uh, get get back into that bag that I was after the Nebraska game uh, last week. What did I What did I say? I said uh, you know what the problems are. I'm not going to go into it. I'm not going to drag anyone down. I'm not going to, uh, you know, act like an ass and disparage anybody or disparage uh, a single kid. So all I'll say is just, I don't get it, man. I really don't. Uh, I, I genuinely would love to hear the reasoning behind what they do at the safety position or at one of the safety positions. 
it's not going to change. Like I'll, I'll say that much. If it does, I'll be shocked. We we've talked about this at different positions on the last few years and it's just too late in the season. Like they're, they're about to play Michigan state and Michigan guys. Uh, they're, they're not going to make a change to the, the starting safety. The, is he a veteran? Is Bryson Shaw a veteran? I don't, I don't know, but everybody seems to say he's, he's smart. He knows what to do. Guys like him. Uh, so, you know, it is what it is. He's just going to play. So, I'm not going to go in on that, but they're just going to get toasted again in a big game with it. And pr- probably, like, if they make the playoff, it's it's going to happen there. It's probably going to happen against Michigan State because uh, they love the deep ball and they have receivers who can go get it, and they love making big plays through the air. So well, we're going to see Michigan State utilize what Purdue did and what teams at the start of the season, Oregon, Tulsa, Minnesota, whatever, and teams just all year have done. Uh, that's really as far as I'm going to go in on it. Court Williams – uh, one tackle on special teams, and in, it was on a kickoff, and he just pushed the guy out of bounds. Uh, again, 52 to 17 game. Don't understand why a guy like Court Williams can't get into the game. I'll be the first to acknowledge, like, I know nothing. I don't talk to anybody on really on the Ohio State beat, or I don't have any inside info on the team. I don't go out of my way to do any of that stuff. Um, I'm just a fan like you guys, and I, I just would genuine, genuinely love to hear what the rationale is. Like if, if guys behind him just aren't that good, then okay, fine. But we, we don't even get to see it. And back to the backups thing. Uh, the only way you can get better is to play in real games. Not the only way, but I think the best way you can get better is to play in actual football games, not just in practice, not just in spring drills, uh, not just in fall ball, not on seven on seven, not in practice during the season. You take the next step by actually playing football games and it feels like whenever we've seen Court Williams play, uh, the Indiana game was a good example. He plays pretty well, and I don't want to limit it just limit it just to him. I don't know, and I'm I'm not going to disparage Shaw. Like we all saw the touchdown, it was what it was. You know, I hate to see any any kid get burnt or struggle like that and be put in this position where we're talking about him every single week. Tough Borland had to do five years of that shit, and I don't. Like, some people may enjoy it. I don't enjoy saying that about any player, let alone an Ohio State one. So it's not like I get any any kicks out of it. Uh, but it just is what it is at this point. And I, I'm not going to rag on Shaw because it's coaching. Like, the coaches keep putting him out there, and the same thing keeps happening. Uh, why am I going to blame him if this keeps happening? It It's it's not his fault. It's The coaches are like, yeah, no, it's it's totally working. He's a champion. He's We graded him out as a champion during the game. It's coaching at this point. Um so, yeah, and, like, it's already too late in the season, guys. He's, he's going to play safety, and they're just going to stick to what they're going to stick to, and it's it's going to cost him at some point. Maybe not a, a loss, maybe, I don't know, but you can bet that Michigan State, Michigan, whoever else they play, and if they make the playoff, any any top talented team. Like, imagine imagine Jamison Williams streaking down the middle, uh, down downfield against the middle of Ohio State safety play. Good luck with that. Yeah, so that's that's it. Uh not all bad, though, in the secondary. I want to talk about Denzel Burke to just take a hard right turn from that and flip it around 180 degrees because there are good things, and Denzel Burke was one of them. Uh, he's a stud, man. He is an absolute stud at that corner position. Uh, they, It felt like, admittedly, I know nothing about scheme or any of that stuff. It felt like they just threw his ass out on the island the past couple of weeks, and they were just like, well, figure it out, fend for yourself. And he's done that like they and kudos to the coaches in that regard. Like they have the confidence in him to just be like, okay, guard Jahan Dotson or some of Penn State's other receivers, man to man, guard David Bell, man to man. And uh, 
he did a pretty good job, man. And like the raw numbers for it may not be like, you may look at that and say, oh, that's that's not that great. Like um, he still had David Bell. What did he have? 11 catches. I, I'm pulling up this tweet that I got from Chris uh, Lauterbach of uh, 11 Warriors when I uh, said that how impressed I was with Burke, and he said, agree, I felt he played well and saw somewhere he allowed Bell to just seven catches on 12 targets for a whopping eight yards per catch. That'll work, man, for a true freshman on David Bell, and they had a couple of of really good battles in the end zone. Um, He held his own, and when you're doing that as a true freshman, I, I could not be more impressed with Denzel Burke. He is a very special player at corner, and just just watching the way that he carries himself and watching the way that he plays, he is a star. So Denzel Burke, uh, it's not not all bad in the secondary. And honestly, I thought Cam Brown played fine too. Uh, it wasn't Seven Banks' best day for sure. But for the most part, man, I, I've, I feel pretty good about the corners. And uh, Denzel Burke, uh, he just keeps getting better and better. Um, I hope you guys don't hear that noise up above. Apartment complexes, just the worst. That, those are all my thoughts. Like, I, I think it was a pretty good win. I, I'm happy about this one. Uh, the offense is just a death machine right now. And if if all those guys are healthy, uh, it's just hard to see any defense really, really stopping them outside of how they would match up with Georgia. And I think that that's ideally, like a selfish Ohio State fan, that's the matchup I want to see. And I think is the best matchup in college football this year is Ohio State's offense against that Georgia defense. Uh, and just to see just to see it and what happens. So I, I hope that that's what happens and we get to see it uh, in the national championship game. So to do that, Ohio State's going to have to continue winning games. And if they want to do that, it's going to be on the shoulders of the uh, of the offense. Um, I am going to questions here Da-da-da, as I scroll down. This is very compelling podcasting right here. Any other thoughts? Nothing on the defensive line. Nothing on the linebackers. Steel Chambers, uh, he finally started. Uh, he is not going to not start another game at Ohio State at linebacker for the rest of the time he's here, or at least he he shouldn't unless they somehow find somebody better than him. Man, he is a badass. Every single game, he lays two or three big hits. All right, I finally got to questions here. First one from Eddie. Shout out to Eddie. He's always involved. Uh, he says, who's better, JSN or Wilson? I know I've seen this circulating around the Ohio State Twitter sphere, blogosphere, whatever. Any any other word I say to date myself, um, and a lot of people are saying Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think it's recency bias because Garrett Wilson is a freaking monster. Uh, I will say Garrett Wilson right now because athletically he's just on a different level. They, I think Wilson can do everything that JSN can do. JSN can do everything Wilson can do except. Uh, levitate like that so I I think that's where Wilson has has JSN beat and uh, I think Smith and Jigba probably makes up for that a little bit in his I think his routes are probably a little more smooth I don't know (laughs) Garrett Wilson does everything at a very high level so I'm gonna go with Garrett Wilson um but it's it's not by a ton uh which is just crazy to think that Ohio State has receivers that good and then there's there's also Chris Olave in the mix it's just absolutely absurd by the way Emeka Abuka is going to break one of these kick returns I have a feeling it's going to be in the Michigan game he's going to break one of these kick returns for a touchdown and he's going to be pretty special too out wide 
Uh, Greg Frisch, our second question here, says, did the defense regress or is the Purdue offense good? They're definitely good. Uh, and then, or did we play different due to being up 20 all game, basically? Yeah, I think that back to Pratik's tweet, like they they weren't just going to be overly aggressive and attack all game. They they had to they didn't have to sit back, but it was the smart move to sit back, and you just kind of take in in that way you take what the offense gives you, and you just don't get beat deep. Uh, they ended up getting beat deep once, um, but I, I think the defense is still on the same track. We saw very vanilla Ohio State defense as that game progressed. Uh, I forgot there was a there was a second question from Eddie here uh, or just comment because I said. I, if you want, we'll do 45 minutes of talk about uh, safety. Uh, and he just said, can we not? I've already seen my yearly fill of 17. Chop, on the other hand. Uh, yeah, man, chop. We need, need to see more of uh, Mayan Williams. Like I said, that would be wonderful. And then I had already got to the last question, which was Kevin White about should Williams and Henderson be splitting carries, carries equally? I think in the general sense, no. Because when the game gets to the third quarter fourth quarter I think that Travion Henderson should be your guy to just put the game to bed and to make a big play that just puts the defense in the dirt and shuts the game down but Mayan Williams as at the start of the game short yardage uh he should absolutely be involved and I don't know if it should be a 50-50 split but I really want to see him be involved because he looked as healthy as he did in the Minnesota game and if you remember that like it was like damn Mayan Williams like he's gonna be the starting running back uh he finally looks as healthy as he has all season. And that's just a huge boost for this offense. That's about it, man. I tried, I basically tried to do this in one to one and a half uh, slash two takes. And I hope it was good. It's definitely a little longer than I anticipated it to be, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I wrote like five pages of notes down, but you know, I don't know how you guys feel. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are agitated and I think that's totally fine because they gave up 31 points. Uh, But I feel pretty good about this one. I think the team is, they've course corrected, I think, from the last couple of weeks. And not to say that, like, oh, everything was burning, everything was terrible. But I thought, overall, pretty damn good performance. And when the offense is doing what they're doing, um, they just need the defense to get a couple stops. And that's what the defense did at the start of the game. The rest of the game just kind of avalanched out of Purdue's control. And that was more than enough to win. They're not going to be able to do that against Michigan or Michigan State or any other top-level team they might play, but I think the strategy would be different if they get put in the same situation where they're up 21-7 to or 28-7 to if things are breaking their way. They're not going to let off the gas pedal. Um, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty happy about this one. I don't have it in me to yell and scream and get upset about anything except really uh, the safety play at this point. But even that is just kind of like... All right, that's just uh, that's what we're doing. It's the new linebacker. It's the new middle linebacker, so that just is what it is. But uh, those are my overall thoughts. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. If you did, or if it's your first time listening, make sure to subscribe. Go on to Apple Podcasts. Um, hit that subscribe button. Uh, leave a star rating. Leave a comment. Uh, tell other people, Ohio State fans, or just general college football fans about the show. I also have the regular Two Stripes podcast that I talk about just everything except Ohio State, and I'm excited for uh, the week, whatever, week 12 preview that I'll have dropping on Wednesday, talking about everything else happening in college football. Um, so subscribe there, subscribe and follow on Spotify. We've uh, we've eclipsed the 25 follower mark 
on Spotify. So shout out to all you guys for doing that. And then SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash two stripes pod. You can follow me on Twitter at dubsco. Uh, go to the YouTube channel. Uh, I'm going to keep pumping that YouTube channel because there's a ton of shit coming your way. I talked about the Wilson and Smith and Jigba videos up there. Um, and then as we roll into the off season, man, there's going to be a ton of stuff that is mostly not Ohio State related. I mean, I'm going to have the usual Ohio State full season highlights, but uh, throwback highlights coming up. And then just other players around the country too. YouTube.com slash Colton Denning. And of course, the SimVids, the Michigan State SimVid later this week and uh, everything else happening for the rest of the year on that front. Uh, and then go on to twostripecpd.com. Subscribe to all my college football writings. You can find dumb picks of the week up there and I'll have uh, some stuff from Michigan week next week. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, I'm everywhere, man. Follow along, support. And uh, those of you who do support, I really do appreciate it. Uh, You don't have to agree with everything I say. You don't have to agree with anything that I say. The purpose of this show, the purpose of when I talk about it on Twitter or whatever, mostly is to just get my shit off. But uh, if I can say one or two things that make you think or is just entertaining or informative, that's really the whole goal of this. It's not for me to be right or to look smart. I don't care about any of that stuff. I want you guys to enjoy what I put out there and to just have this be a space where you know, we can enjoy talking about college football and, and whatever else. So I hope I'm able to provide that. And I uh, hope you guys uh, enjoy the show and everything else uh, that I got that I got coming forward. That's it. Uh, I keep saying that, but that is really it this time. Under an hour. My God, can't believe it was this long. Shout out to all of you for listening, for putting up with me every single week. I'll be back later this week with the Michigan State preview. But until then, this is Scarlet and Grace Drives. I'm Colton Denning. And I'll holler at you next time.